are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Um, today, like we mentioned a few times, and it is listed on your bulletin, uh, we do have very special testimonies from seven of our members who are baptized at the retreat in a lake. Like, it was, it was pretty awesome. So they are going to be sharing their testimonies. We'll start with Wendy. Okay, so I'm just going to get into it. Um, I grew up in a Methodist church um, where I attended with my family until I was about 12. And I don't know if this was just like the church I went to or if it was because it was a small church, but um, it was really boring. Like there was no youth sermon and children's sermon. It was like all one sermon and it was very lengthy. (laughs) And we sang hymns all the time. Like I didn't even know they had like modern Christian music. I didn't know it existed until like several years later. Um, So we went until I was about 12 where we stopped going because my mom's work schedule changed and like there were like several conflicting issues. Um, So until I was, from when I was 12 until I went to college, I didn't go to church. Um, But while I was in church until I was 12, you know, I heard all about the stories of the Bible. I knew who Jesus was. And um, so because of that, I had like a head knowledge of who he was, but I didn't really know him, know him. You know, I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, So then in my sophomore year of college, I started going to a church on campus uh, where I started like a weekly Bible study. And to be honest, I only started going because a friend invited me and I didn't know how to say no. So like our conversation was like, do you want to go to church with me? And I was like, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so before I met Christ, I considered myself to be, like, a good person. I didn't do drugs. I didn't party. Like, my idea of a good Friday night is sitting at home alone with a good book or Netflix and maybe some pizza, you know? Um, so I thought, like, I was a morally good person. So because of this, I tried to live, like, by my own self-righteousness, and I told myself, like, I don't need God. I'm good you know? Um, But I still continued to go to church with this friend because, like, every week I would think of, like, an excuse, like, oh, I have to study, oh, I have to do this, but then I'd be like, oh, I have to study, but I guess I can do that later. So I ended up still going because I didn't want to disappoint her. Um, So the more we started to study the Bible and the more I heard the message at church, um, the more I felt God drawing me closer to him. And really I could feel him like breaking down every barrier that I had around my heart. And so after about a year of studying the Bible and learning more about him, I finally accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, so I wish I could stand up here and tell you that like after accepting Christ, I am a perfect Christian, but I'm not. Um, so I still struggle with my relationship with God And I remember when I first started coming to church here, um, shortly after I started coming to Shining Star, I I was asked to be a youth teacher. And so I started teaching the 12th grade girls, and I felt like such a failure. (laughs) Like I was teaching them, and every week, um, every Sunday, I would come in, and I don't know, I just felt like these girls had it all together, and their relationship with God was so solid and so strong, and mine was like weak and fragile and still new. So I was like, you know, how do I teach them when I feel like they're more knowledgeable than I am? Um, so that was when I realized that I was still trying to live by my own self-righteousness. I was still trying to live and teach by my own abilities rather than God. Um, and so I felt like, you know, maybe I wasn't called to be a teacher, uh, but then God showed me that he can use me regardless of my abilities. Um, so I've always been kind of hesitant about sharing my testimony, which is rather ironic that I'm going first today. Um, but I was hesitant because I felt it was never good enough, um, that there was no seemingly radical difference between my life before Christ and my life after Christ. Um, But then as I was writing my testimony and as I was reflecting upon what I've written, 
I realized that the person I met before Christ, or the person I was before I met Christ, no longer matters. And I also realized that the person I am now in Christ is not the same person I will be five or ten years from now. Um, and so the difference from now and when I first met Christ may not seem radically different, but in five or ten years, the difference may be like night and day. Um, so I realized that God isn't done with me yet, and this isn't the end of my testimony. This is only the beginning. And so I wanted to end on a note of encouragement. So I'd like to share a quote that um, our lovely dear sister Indiana shared with me. Um, it's from a pastor and blogger by the name of J.S. Park. And he says, faith is a journey, not a light switch. Remember, you are a work in progress, looking toward the finished work of Jesus. Hi, uh, my name is Eugen, and today I'm going to share with you my baptism testimony. Um, so like many of you guys, I grew up in a Christian family. I went to a Catholic school at one point in my life. Um, I've been attending church ever since I could remember, and the list goes on. I would always call myself a Christian because I thought being a Christian meant going to church every Sunday, praying before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and reading the Bible every day. My mom would make me... Uh, would make me read Proverbs every morning before going to school, but the fact that I don't have a single verse in Proverbs memorized by now probably shows how little I paid attention to what I was actually reading. Regardless, every Sunday, my friends and my Bible study teachers would praise me for faithfully coming out to church every Sunday and participating in discussions. So I thought I was living a pretty good Christian life, and I never doubted my salvation. However, as I progressed through middle and high school, I walked farther and farther away from God. With the constant pressure of living up to my parents' expectations in my studies, I never felt genuinely loved in my family. My parents would always tell me that I needed to try harder and that I wasn't good enough, which made me seek love and comfort in other things and other people. I tried to make myself uh, more attractive in the eyes of the world by changing how I looked or changing how I dressed. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd for the sake of gaining popularity. Um, I sought after romantic relationships thinking I would be loved and adored. And in college, I turned to alcohol and partying to find my satisfaction. Um, I tried filling myself up with so many different things, but in the end, I never felt satisfied. There was a constant feeling of emptiness inside of me, and the more I tried filling myself up with what this world had to offer, the more shame, guilt, and regret I felt afterwards. It was at the end of freshman year in college when I met a sister in Christ who led me to a Christian conference in New Jersey. In the beginning of the conference, talking about God, uh, worshiping him, and praying all felt very awkward. I felt like I was in no position to be praying to a God who is so holy. I was blinded by the sins that I have committed and the guilt and shame that resulted from them that I failed to see that it isn't about me or how much I lacked, but it's about how much God still loves me and is waiting for me to return to him. During the last night's sermon of the conference, a verse was so powerfully highlighted to me that I will never forget. It was 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It was at this conference where I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and devoted my life to him, if only he would take someone like me. I realized that God created me to have a personal relationship with him. Being a Christian isn't defined by what I do on Sundays, but it's about walking daily with God, having a daily conversation with him, and seeking after him the way he constantly seeks after me. Being a Christian isn't living a better life to make up for my past sins and earn God's love, but it's believing a God who saw that I was dirty and worthless and decided to love on me and die for me just so he could call me his precious daughter. At this pastor treat, I had the privilege to publicly declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Although it's been about five years since I've been converted, I can't say that my life has been smooth and perfect. I still struggle with the same sins on a daily basis, and there are many times when I turn to things of this world for comfort and satisfaction. 
Only God knows how many times I've turned my back on him, thinking I know what I need better than he does. But I know God has transformed me into a different person because my focus has shifted less towards me, but more towards God. As Pastor Bobby and Pastor Byung reminded us this past week at retreat, there is nothing I can do to make myself more pleasing to God. It's not safe to focus on how much I love God, but it's safer to know to focus on how much God loves us. That's not to trivialize sinning, but I want to focus more on glorifying God through my everyday decisions. And as much as I lack, I have hope in Christ that he can and will use, continue to use me for his glory. God says in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just like how God has been pouring out so much grace and love on me, I want my life to be a reflection of his love because God has called me to be his light of this world. I want to devote my life to sharing that kind of love with those who are in need so that they too can feel the ultimate satisfaction of having their identities rooted in Christ. Thank you. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, my name is Andy, and this is my testimony. Um, as a child, I was brought up in a church-going family. Um, I went to church um, as a social gathering place, not so much of a place of worship. Uh, every Sunday, I'd go and learn about this man named Jesus and how he did miraculous things. Um, and that he died for my sins. Uh, I learned about God the Father and the creation of the heavens and the earth, but quite frankly, I really didn't care about these things. During Sunday school, while everyone had their heads bowed and their hands together and their eyes closed, I was that one kid that was opening up his bag of chips and munching on his food obnoxiously during prayer. Uh, I knew the basic concept of Jesus, but did not really understand how I could have a relationship with him, how I could talk to him or pray to him, why he would ever want to talk to somebody like me. And quite frankly, during that time, I really didn't care if he did or not. Uh, but even during that time of carelessness, God's sovereignty was present in my life, and he had a plan for me. My family eventually ended up not attending church for a couple of years due to complications in their uh, fellowship at a certain church. Uh, but God put someone in my life during that time uh, that went to Shining Star and uh, actually invited me to the 2010 Winter Youth Retreat. I said yes without giving it a second thought, a place to be away from home, a place to be just, you know, a place to just relax, so why not? As the retreat took its course, I was confused. I was asking myself, why do these people raise their hands and cry out to someone that they can't see? Why do these people raise their hands during worship and just look so foolish? Why do these people foolishly dance and sing around others and not caring what they look like to others. I learned through this retreat about the tender love and sovereignty of Jesus Christ and the magnitude of the sacrifice that took place on the cross. That evening, the guest speaker asked, if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please stand up and come forward. I remember confidently standing and walking to the front of the room, not expecting anything. And as I got closer and closer to the cross, I felt a huge weight lift off my shoulders. And as I got down to kneel before the cross, I began to cry. Uh, <laughs> unknowingly I had become that person that was crying and worshiping on his knees with his hands lifted up for all to see for the first time in my life I genuinely prayed to God and that night accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior my relationship with Jesus grew stronger as years passed and I began to walk with him daily and learned more about him uh, as years passed it wasn't an easy process it was full of mistakes and missteps but Jesus was faithful, always guiding me back in the right direction. During the To Live as Christ 2013 Youth Winter Retreat, our final night activity was to uh, write something on a piece of paper, so basically a sin or something that you were struggling with, and to nail it on the cross, like literally like nail it, right? And I remember putting on mine uh, pride and family. Uh, not saying that family was a sin, but... I was uh, idolizing the idea of family and took so much pride in my family. Um, it was more of a prayer request and I was asking God to change me. Uh, and, you know, as life is, you know, something did happen where early that following year in February of 2014, 
Uh, one of my sister's close friends took his own life. Um, it was one of those moments of disbelief and complete utter chaos. Uh, I remember feeling so helpless and small, uh, being that protective older sibling and watching my sister all the time. Uh, watching her go through such pain was so frustrating to me. Hearing her cry in her room. And not being able to do anything for her uh, really hurt me. Um, sorry. I prayed to God and asked, what can I do? Uh, she's in so much pain. I asked, you know, Lord, can you please help me help her? Uh, and all I remember hearing from him was, uh, Andy, you can't do anything. I am God the Father. What is there that you can do? Thank you. What is there that you can do that I cannot? I am the comforter. Let her find comfort in me. He asked me to give up my family, uh, that, um, that he would be their guide. Um, and that I would have to give up, in a sense, my pride and my leadership of my family to, over to God. And uh, that was one of the hardest things I ever heard. Like, that was one of the most difficult things to hear. And uh, I had to do it. I obviously did it. In humble obedience, I obeyed. I was able to give up something that had ruled over my life for so long and let Jesus take what seemed like a burden away from me. Sorry. Fast forwarding to the retreat. I remember being so nervous, not knowing why I agreed to getting baptized in the first place. But God was also there reminding me that it was not for me, but for his glory. To profess to your peers that yes, you, Andy Park, you sinner, are now a new creation in Christ. So I stand before you, church, baptized, announcing that I have been saved. I do not find comfort elsewhere in other things except for in Jesus Christ. I will joyfully throw out my hands and sing and dance without shame. I will not judge others that do the same, but join them gladly. And I will never feel foolish worshiping Christ, for Christ died for me. Thank you. Hi, I'm Grace. Uh, so I grew up in the church like probably a lot of you did, and I've called myself a Christian my whole life. But it was really just a meaningless title. It just meant, you know, those people who go to church every Sunday and don't drink or do drugs. Um, to me, church was just some place I went to to hang out with my friends and, you know, have fun. And then when we moved to a different church where none of my friends went to, it was kind of a burden and an obligation. The only reason I went was because my parents wouldn't let me not go. Um, I tried to get out of it, I really did. <laughs> Which isn't good. But then, um, but then I came here, and I think it was the first time I actually felt God in a church. And um, you know how there's always those testimonies about how someone met God with a huge dramatic transformation and their lives became radically transformed? Yeah, I always wanted that. But, um, and I thought it was the only way to know that you were saved. But I've come to learn that it's not. And for me, it was more of a gradual process of growing and learning more about God. And even after meeting him, he's still changing me as I continue to learn more about him and grow in him. I was spiritually dead and complacent before I met him, and I didn't really care because, you know, I was a good person, right? But, um, but after learning more about him, I've come to see that I have to seek after him and have an actual relationship with him. And, um, and so I continue to seek him after experiencing his amazing love and grace. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is John. Uh, I'll be sharing my testimony today. I feel very nervous. Um, yeah, I didn't want to get baptized because um, I didn't want to share my testimony. I get really nervous really well. And, and getting dunked into water without mentally preparing myself, it was just it's out of my world, yeah. So, so um, But I, I grew up in a Christian household and attended a Presbyterian church every week uh, when I was young. And... It was that um, at a young age, uh, I was um, really attracted to like Bible studies and like activities we had at church, and something just really like grasped grasped my heart, and I was really interested. Um, 
Uh, it was uh, at a young age when I heard the gospel message, uh, when my pastor asked me to um, asked us to raise our hand if you um, if you have want to accept Jesus Christ in your heart uh, Lord, as Lord and Savior without a day, doubt. Um, I just like raised my hand. I'm like, I I probably didn't know what it meant, but um, uh, so um, I guess the main message that kind of stuck to me till this day um, is a simple and profound message of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, the message of the gospel always tugged my heart every time I heard it. At a young age, I didn't know what to do, not knowing what surely, you know, but surely by the grace of God, um, he reminded me of it. And um, I guess uh, my understanding of the Bible and who God was, uh, it grew as, as I was mentored by my pastor and teachers um, in my, throughout my youth. Um, I learned and experienced what it means to have intimate fellowship with God. And... Um, as I began to learn um, more about God, he has, uh, and I just learned that um, he has a purpose for me and has a special calling for each and one of us. And, and it was, it was kind of odd. Uh, that kind of just became part of my life. You know, all my prayers and thoughts were um, evolved around the question, God, what is your calling for me? What is your purpose in my life? Uh, my, my my life began to be consumed around this question, but never heard a clear response from God. Um, I'm keep on asking, what do you want me to become? Do you want me to become a doctor, like, I don't know, teacher, whatever it may be, you know? But I never got an answer. Um, and I began uh, desperately to ask even more when things took a toll in my life. After, like, high school, like, um, I don't know, things kind of changed for me. I couldn't go to school right away. Um, I was, I just wanted an immediate answer from God. I wanted it. Um, and searching for jobs and hitting up every retail or stores in my like hometown. It was just like, I was like, what am I doing here? I don't get why I'm here, you know. Um, failing at my, at my first job, finding out I'm not naturally adequate for all the jobs they had. I'm crying out in like the AMF parking lot. I'm like, God, why am I here? Like, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. It sounds funny, but it was like, <laughs> it was very hurtful at that moment. <laughs> Like th maybe that's why I don't like to go bowling, but um, <laughs> um, I guess in the midst of like that difficult time and challenging times, God reminded me of my prayer asking to Him when I was uh, in high school. I guess God, would you set me apart and use me for Your glory? And it was at that moment I realized that God was sovereign in all my throughout my life. Um, at that um, by the grace of God, I realized it was never about me and what I had to become. But it was about who Christ uh, is and my identity in Him. Um, my calling and purpose was simply to just to get to know God and enjoy Him. The question I asked, uh, I would ask, would change. It was no longer about um, me, but it was rather, how can I glorify You, God? How can You be glorified today, despite of all my circumstances? Um, as I cling on to God because of my insufficiency in every aspect of my life, God was glorified. Um, what I once thought was a curse, having to work harder and um, failing because I did it on my own strength, um, became one of the greatest blessings in my life. As I would look to God, knowing that He is um, His powerful beyond my incapabilities, and no longer it was by my strength, I do the things I do, and endure hardship, it is God who does it all. And I bring it before Him, and not, not me, but He is glorified. Um, as I wrestle with uh, God, trying to find my calling and purpose, it felt like in those times, God, um, as if he touched my hip and hip socket and my joints were out of place. From that uh, point, it became a limp. Um, surely, I, I like to call it a blessed limp. Um, the limp that opened my eyes to see that God is the only hope and to go before him. And I, dip, and I just go before him and depend on him. And I still ask, um, God, how can I glorify you today? And... I ask him, I need you. I need your help. Um, yeah, and um, now I'll explain why I got baptized. <laughs> um, as I shared earlier, I attended a Presbyterian church when I was um, younger. I was like five, six. I'm not sure what age, but um, according to my mom, she said I was baptized. I think they call it child baptism, and they sprinkle water at you. I think, now that I think about it, that's even more annoying than being dunked in the water. 
Um, um, anyways, I have no memory of it, even with the picture that my mom showed me. So, um, and I, I would, uh, Jesse would always ask me, you should get baptized. I'm like, no, I already got baptized. Why do I need to do it again? He's like, oh, you're going to need to get conf confirmation because you did it as a child. I'm like, dude, you know I'm a Christian. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, uh, I didn't, and part of it was just my pride getting in the way. I didn't want to take the membership class, having prying, saying that I've been here for like quite a while. Shouldn't, shouldn't I be just, you know, a member as I am? Um, um, and I didn't want to be chained to commitments I th that I can I couldn't keep. So I kept on justifying myself. But uh, as I went to work, uh, I was sharing my with my coworkers just about like church and just part of the gospel, and he was like interested. And he attended a different church. Um, he shared the fact that um, um, churches sometimes hunt him down and ask him to become a member. And in a sense, I understood maybe that could be a little bit um, refusal for him. Like, kind of, he can feel like, no, I don't want to. But I was like, and it was at that moment, uh, someone, else, some other coworker of mine, she was, uh, I thought she went to church for a while and looked dedicated, and she was like, oh, you don't have to take membership class? Like, I never took it. I was like, and it was at that moment, um, I believe Holy Spirit really spoke into my heart. I felt so betrayed, you know, hearing that, you know, where is the commitment? Where is, you know, where is the ownership at our church that Christ called us to be? So at that moment, I knew it was the work of the Holy Spirit who tugged my heart and convicted me that I needed to take membership class um, to be part of the church that Christ has called us to be. And shortly after, I was baptized at the retreat. Um, and I just want to kind of say this. Uh, I'm asking, I actually wrote this down. Uh, here by now, I stand asking you all the church to keep me accountable as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's Melody again. Uh, <laughs> um, so... I'll just start from the very beginning. Um, my parents met in church. Um, they got married in a church, and I've been going to church for as long as I can remember. Um, and I remember singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, when I was six, my parents fought and divorced. And at the time, I was too young to understand the pain, but old enough to know that things would be different forever. Um, I decided that I had to be a better daughter to, pre to prevent my family from b breaking apart even more. And from then on, I became known as the good girl. And I let that become my identity. Now, I don't remember the exact moment I accepted Christ, um, but it was sometime in elementary school. Um, and at that time, I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, God became a father when my dad wasn't around, and Jesus was a savior for my sins. Like, at that time, it was like if I said the word stupid. So I really didn't understand. Um, but I let my flesh win for a very long time. And to be a good girl meant obedience to my parents. So I didn't doubt or object to their decisions. And this definitely reflected in the church as well. I listened because it was a good thing to do. And if I didn't question anything, and I didn't question anything because if the pastor said it, it was right. And just like that, I lived for a very, very long time. But in high school, I became rebellious and started thinking for myself. And as family drama became more messy and tangled, I tried harder and harder to keep it together. Um, I was over-emotional and decided that if I wasn't emotional at all, things would be okay. Um, I became desensitized but felt nasty trying to compensate for the feeling by being cheerful in school. Then I asked God, why can't I have a normal family? Um, why is everything so messy and why did it have to come to this? And during those times I was asking him to get me out of there. Um, but I was also blaming my circumstances on him. In fact, I forced the blame onto everything but myself. Because of course I was the good girl and I deserved something better. But it was during that time I felt abandoned that I finally started listening to his voice. Um, I came to SSCC and went to my first winter retreat. 
There, the gospel that I had heard so many times before suddenly sounded different. Um, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Was I living like a saved child of God or like a zombie? Definitely more like a zombie. Um, I was so dead that I rejected God's love and fed off of others' insufficient love. I began to understand how crazy and ironic it was for Christ to die for my sins. And since then, I've been rediscovering his grace over and over again. Um, when my heart is tugged, I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking. I have learned to expect nothing but more of him. And he's shown me that I'm definitely not a good girl just because I'm less bad than others and that I'm perfectly capable of doubting him and betraying him. He's shown me that I contribute heavily to my family's brokenness and that, and that I would never be able to hold anything together. Um, and when I see my invisible pride, I feel disgusting. But the gospel is this, that while I was so disgusting, God sent Jesus, who was perfect, to die for and to conquer my sins um, so that I could be pure before God. And that just makes me so happy. <laughs> um, and how much others love me and how much I love myself can't compare to my worth in him. And when I remember the gospel, my past becomes so worth it because God knew that I had to rise in order to fall, in order to rise for my dead self. Um, he is so, so good. That's it. Hey, everyone. Alex really knows me. He just handed me a wad of tissue. I have to apologize in advance. Um, my testimony is a little long, um, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to say each of these words. So I'm sorry, PD. I'm sorry, Jesse. Please forgive me. <laughs> so I grew up in a family that didn't know God at all. Um, my parents professed that they wanted me to be able to choose my own religion, so they tried hard not to push anything on me. I actually believe the real reason is that my dad hated God. Um, I memorized prayers before meals and bed as a child, but I never knew who I was praying to. I was just saying, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> um, I believe that if I said a prayer saying, God bless mommy, it meant nothing bad could happen to her. When I was growing up, my family life was really scary and uncomfortable. It was my mom, my dad, and my half-brother, Ronnie, who was my father's son from a previous marriage. When I was three and Ronnie was 16, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He began acting erratically and would have bouts where he refused to take his medication. He and my mother constantly fought. By the time I was 10, things had gotten really intense. My brother was running away all the time, sniffing paint in the woods to get high, stealing cars. His life was completely overrun with sin and it was affecting all of us around, us, around him. As things escalated one night, after storming out of the house in a rage, he came back and in front of me and my father, he lunged at my mother with a kitchen knife trying to kill her. My mom pleaded with my father to handle the situation, but he didn't. A week or two later, my brother was left home alone with my mother and he tried to sexually assault her. At that point, my dad finally decided to do something and he sent my brother to live with my grandparents. Within a couple of weeks, my brother punched my 80-year-old grandfather in the face, knocking him to the ground. I was terrified of my brother and what he might do next. I was so overwhelmed with the state of my family and my own pain that the night I heard him attacking my grandpa, that I couldn't think of anything else to do but to get on my knees, and out of sheer desperation, I prayed my first sincere prayer. I don't even know what spurred me to do it. My only explanation is that the Holy Spirit had to be guiding me even then. In the dark in my parents' warehouse, hiding because I didn't want anyone to know I was praying, I was really embarrassed, I pleaded with God and said these exact words. God, please do something to make my brother stop hurting my family. A couple weeks later, my brother went into the hospital for some neck pain that he thought he had gotten from moving appliances. They did some imaging and found that what they said was a tumor at the base of his neck. They operated, and because of the size of the supposed tumor, they had to dig deep down into his spine to get it all out. When he came out of surgery, my brother was paralyzed from the neck down, a quadriplegic. And when they sent the tumor off for testing, it came back that it was actually just a large mass of infection that likely could have been cured with antibiotics. My family, and especially my dad, was devastated. 
my brother was at the start of his life, 23 or 25, like a lot of you, and now his life was completely cut short. But I didn't blame the doctors for their error. Instead, I was immediately consumed with the thought that it was all my fault, that it was my prayer that caused this. I went from not being sure if there was a God to being convinced that there was, and he was mean and unfair, and that he devastated my family to teach me the lesson that you have to be careful what you wish for. I felt utterly stabbed in the back and like he had betrayed my confidence, and I hated him for it. I carried this pain all throughout my life without ever telling anyone close to me what had happened. I was so ashamed by what I had done. I knew everyone would hate me for it. Anytime Ronnie's name was mentioned, I felt deep shame and left the room. Even now when I say his name, I feel a twinge of guilt. Over the years, I occasionally would talk to people less close to me about God, and I would tell them my story and be like, what do you think? They would give me canned responses like, well, God didn't do that, Satan did. Or, well, God works in mysterious ways, so it's not your fault. Or the most popular, it was just a bad coincidence. I talked to a therapist who gave the worst explanation of all. Things just happen. None of these answers satisfied or healed me. When people asked me what I believed, I told them I believed in nothing and that religion, especially Christianity, was a ridiculous farce. I mocked my friends who prayed and believed in a higher power. In my adult life, I've had a fair amount of pain and personal tragedy. In 2006, I lost my career when I hurt my back and was able, unable to return to work. I in turn lost my health and negativity totally flooded my life. I was miserable and miserable to be around. In 2008, making things worse, my father passed away, which was devastating to me because I, we had a horrible, rocky relationship. In 2010, while I was still mourning my dad's passing and only three weeks after moving across country to Maryland, my husband came to me completely out of nowhere and blindsided me, telling me he wanted a divorce. And in 2011, we separated. In the midst of my husband walking out, I got in touch with Pastor Esther, who was an old friend of mine from college. She patiently listened to my problems. She explained the gospel to me and prayed with me. I wanted so desperately to believe it, and I committed to trying out church, but my faith was sowed on rocky ground, and I never established roots. In 2012, my brother, who had been living in a nursing home his entire adult life, passed away. I believed that I was never going to understand how my brother's life, which was awful from start to finish, fit into the bigger picture of existence. And finally, in 2013, I contracted a mysterious illness that made it nearly impossible to get out of bed or to do anything. In and out of doctor's offices for over a year and a half, I gained 60 pounds and spent the majority of my days sick in bed and sad and utterly hopeless. In August of last year, in the midst of all this personal chaos, Pastor Esther messaged me <laughs> again, and we decided to meet up. She listened to all of my troubles again, and I listened to her explain the gospel message to me again. I didn't believe it this time, but I was interested and participated in the conversation because it was a fun topic and because everything she told me made me feel my pain so deeply. I was really interested to see Pastor Esther do what she did for a living, and I asked her if I could come to church. I had no intention of making it an ongoing thing. I really just wanted to support a friend of mine. I didn't know what made me do it, really, perhaps a sense of guilt over disappointing Pastor Esther, but regardless, I agreed to show up at, pa at Pocky and Ashley's life group that week. That first night that I went, I let out years' worth of pent-up emotions. I told them about the horrible relationship I had with my father, and it was totally awkward sharing these things with perfect strangers, but they listened as I cried. At the end, we took prayer requests, and I asked the group to pray about my health situation and that I would get answers to the mysterious illness I was dealing with. As I sat there totally awkwardly, they laid their hands on me and prayed aloud, something I had never experienced before. I left life group intrigued, but not knowing really if I would go back. Later that week, some blood tests that I had earlier for my sickness came back, and the doctors finally diagnosed me as having Lyme disease. My first thought when I got the call was that of the life group praying for me. I thought that this had to be the craziest coincidence, but perhaps something more. I decided I would keep going just to try it out. 
Over the course of the next few weeks, I opened up to them about my life. The night I finally spoke about my brother was a major breakthrough for me. I confessed that I was so mad at God and that I had a hard time believing he could exist because of what happened to my brother. On one hand, I knew completely that it was no coincidence that my prayer coincided with my brother's paralysis. On the other, I knew that the God that everyone talked about wouldn't do such a thing. So to reconcile these two unreconcilable thoughts, I had chosen to just believe that God didn't exist. I asked the group why God would allow my brother to live a completely miserable life and then die young. Everyone sat in silence for a really long time. Finally, Pocky spoke up and said the first real humble thing anyone had ever given me to answer this question. He said, Kathy, I'm really sorry that happened, and I don't know why it happened, but it's not your fault. Ashley followed up with such a profound statement that I will never forget. She said, God doesn't work like that. He's not your personal hitman. A couple weeks later, I asked the group to pray for me to know Jesus because it was something I was wrestling so hard with but couldn't figure out how to believe. The next week, as I was headed to church, I was praying in the car and became flooded with emotions. I cried out to God and asked him, please make Jesus known to me. If he truly exists, I need to know him. I prayed to him that I didn't think I was ever going to know Jesus on my own, and I felt like I needed him to send me a really obvious sign because I just wasn't getting it. I immediately looked out my car window, hoping to see some kind of car with a Jesus Saves bumper sticker or something. I was really sad and defeated when I didn't see anything. When I got to church that day, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Nam. He was preaching on the message from Genesis where God wrestles with Jacob and then cripples him. As Pastor Nam began to preach, I immediately got the feeling that God was speaking directly to me and to my pain. Pastor Nam said, we pray all the time, God help us, but what we often don't realize is how God helps us. And what we have in mind is not necessarily what God has in mind. He went on to say, we want to use God and his blessings to further our own ends, and this is often a lot of times our motivation when we pray to God. And also, Jacob wasn't using God to accomplish his goals. Rather, God was using Jacob to accomplish his. I suddenly realized that God allowed my brother to be crippled to wake us all up. Like God could have crippled Jacob immediately rather than wrestling with him all night, it's my belief that God allowed the situation with my brother to escalate to such a point that I became so desperate that I had no other rational choice but to plead for God's intervention. So that my brother's seeming destruction wouldn't only affect his life, but would deeply affect mine and my walk with God. My brother's paralysis wasn't necessarily an answer to my prayer, but rather my prayer was a tool that God used to complete his plan. Because if I hadn't been desperate and prayed that prayer, I don't know if my brother's paralysis wouldn't have just brought sheer relief to me. It was because I prayed that prayer that I personally was able to experience God's power in my life. It's my belief that my salvation was important enough in God's eyes that it justified my entire family's circumstances. That day, God answered my prayer so immediately and sent me the obvious sign that I prayed for in the car. Like he promises in Jeremiah 29, 12 to 13, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I felt the hugest sense of urgency that day, and I contacted Ashley immediately and asked her how to accept Jesus. She showed me how to pray to ask him to rule over my life, and I did. This past January, I was completely cured of my Lyme disease, something my doctors told me some people struggle with their entire lives. I thank God for this church and all the members who have sensitively yet firmly helped me to advance my faith. I feel like so many of you have been key players in God's plan for my salvation. Even to this day, more than believing God is good, so many times I fall into the trap of being afraid of God and what he can do. I'm sometimes paranoid about praying open-ended prayers because I forget that I'm not in control, and I worry if I mess up and pray wrong that God will do something destructive again. 
It's a continual process through the encouragement of so many of you here to convince and reconvince myself that God doesn't destroy unless he plans to rebuild something better or to use the destruction to my advantage. I again know this from Jeremiah 29:11, where he tells us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Because I spent so many years publicly and intentionally pushing people away from God, today as I stand before you all, I feel the need to just as publicly repent to God for being in such a state of desperation that I couldn't imagine a bigger picture, and that as a result, I mischaracterized my creator. And it's with no small amount of irony that I find myself in the same situation now where the circumstances of my life, my pending divorce, the grief over the repeated losses in my life, and especially my crippling back pain, make it so difficult to believe that there's a master plan at work that is actually good for me. So much so that I was absolutely terrified to give this testimony in the midst of so much flux in my life because I knew that I couldn't wrap everything up in one pretty package for you all. Still, I want to repent that I continue to have moments of weakness where I fall victim to the voices in my head that make me question his character when my circumstances seem insurmountable. But I also know that this is the nature of sin and the enemy, and that God is faithful to me even when I'm hateful and unfaithful to him. I know that even this uncertainty is part of God's plan, and I'm okay with not having it all figured out right now because as Pastor Nam said, God will not reveal everything to you at one time. He wants you to continue to cling to him and to be desperate for him. This past week at the retreat, Pastor Esther gave a seminar on hearing God's voice. She had us go inside ourselves and prepare ourselves and listen to what God was speaking to our hearts. What I heard was, stop acting broken. You are strong. I sat there puzzled and argued with the voice, and I said, no, that doesn't make sense. You're strong. I am broken. Why would I pretend not to be? It has been like a sharp pebble in my shoe all week that's been irritating me. But I've been spending a lot of time talking to God since I've been home. And what I think it means is that God has finally, finally got a hold on me and me on him. And that I'm able to be strong because he is my strength. That I no longer have to feel like a victim because I am made victorious and perfect through Christ. This past week, with the help of Pastor Byung and Pastor Bobby, I finally came to terms with the fact that my circumstances may be forever difficult because we aren't ever promised comfort on earth. But when this life is over, I am promised a room in heaven that Jesus is preparing for me as we speak. And praise God for that. I have no explanation for how I've ended up at this crazy Korean church driving twice a week from Maryland other than it's what God has willed for my life right now. And I have no way of knowing what's next, but I am committed to following obediently because God is faithful to me, and he deserves far more than my obedience for being my constant companion, my Abba, Father. It is good to see you all. Thank you, PJ, for reading the, uh, the text. This past week was our second EM retreat, and it was so good. So good. A big shout-out to my brothers, Pastor Byung and Pastor Bobby for laying out the gospel in such a convicting and relevant, personal way. A big shout-out to our dear brother, our Tongan brother, Paki, who uh, led us in worship and who right now is back at home in Canada with his family. A big shout-out to all those who helped with the planning, preparing, stage decorating, setting up and tearing down the equipment, planning the children's program. The list goes on and on. My inability to say all the names of those who helped out goes to show that this retreat was really by the people and was successful because of your prayers and faithful diligence in taking ownership of it. So I really want to thank you all, those of you who supported, whether you've actually got your hands dirty or whether you prayed. But most importantly, praise be to God for refreshing our weary souls. Amen. Man. Yeah, as a pastor, since I was always giving the message, and, and I'll do what I can to listen to podcasts and follow sermon streams from respected preachers, but there's really nothing quite like sitting before a good, faithful gospel preacher and soaking up the words right then and there. So thank God, I thank God personally for that personal opportunity. 
you know, our ministry here, we conduct baptisms annually. And sometimes we'll do a picnic out near. Last few years ago, we went to Bay Bridge area, and we, uh, we did a baptism there. But usually it happens during a, a planned retreat like the one that we just had. And I had the honor and pleasure of baptizing seven brothers and sisters here into our church as the 40-plus of our EM members looked on, witnessing the powerful, public, and yet very intimate ordinance of a believer's baptism. And today you've heard seven powerful testimonies of what the transforming power of Christ's love for you can do to a person. There's no such thing as a sin too deep or as a heart that's so hardened that Christ cannot save. Now I want to thank everyone here uh, for their faithfulness and especially our testimony givers for their vulnerability and sharing something that clearly was not easy, like Kathy was saying and the rest of you guys. I'm sure it was incredibly difficult. And so today I just want to give a small, short message, and, and I really do mean short message, uh, on what baptism is so that we are all on the same page and we understand what, what, what just transpired this past week. That it's not just a dunking, okay? The powerful meaning of this text that we've just read is that if you truly understand what baptism portrays, then you will then truly understand what happened to you when you became a Christian. You want to see a miracle? Look into your life. You want to see a miracle? Look at Christ. Now, many of us got baptized at a point in our lives and our faith when we didn't know too much Christian-y things. We're all pretty babyish, if you want to consider that. We're spiritually immature. And that's actually good because baptism typically occurs early in the Christian walk. But what later comes on, and, and, I, and I want to affirm what a couple of our brothers and sisters said here too, is that what happens later on is the growing knowledge of what it means to be a believer. The growing knowledge of who Christ is. Don't think that you have to get baptized once you got everything down. Otherwise, you'll never get baptized. Right? Instead, we can rejoice in baptism is that by going through with it, you are expressing your simple faith and obedience to Christ. By going through with it. And that's what Apostle Paul here is doing. He's teaching them what baptism meant. And as you hear these words of Apostle Paul sermonized through me, I want you to see how you were once portrayed in the eyes of God. That you were once foe. That you were once enemies. But now, you're Christ, and praise be to Jesus, you are now a saint. You are now, in the eyes of God, no longer sinner, but friend. No longer foe or enemy, but a child of the Most High. Amen. And so there's a, two, there's a couple points from this passage I want to make this afternoon. The first is this, that the baptism displays our death in the death of Christ. It says in verse 3, Do you know that all of us, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And here's the truth, guys. We all have died. When Jesus died, he died our death. Maybe you've heard me quote this before from Mark Driscoll, the former pastor of Mars Hill Church, but he said, Christ lived a life that we couldn't live and died to death that we should have died. And so there's two main things from that. One is this, we are not the same people as we once were. In other words, our old nature, our old self has died. David 1.0 no longer exists. How many of you guys still don't have Windows 10? <laughs> right? Windows, whatever the heck it was before, 7 or Vista, I don't know what it was. It's gone. It's over. It's died. Whatever happened, the past sins, your past guilt, your past condemnation, your identity and who you were and what your parents thought you should be, all that no longer has any effect on you. No longer. And number two, the inevitable future physical death that all people will experience will not have the same meaning for us that it would have had if Jesus had not died our death. In other words, since we have died with Christ and Christ died our death for us, our death will not be some horrible, tragic, forever-ending type of demise most people associate with. Instead, 1 Corinthians 15.55 says this, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? You know where it's at? You know where the sting and the victory of death is? It's been swallowed up by Christ. doesn't apply to us. We are free, eternally bound. What this means in baptism is that it displays our union with Christ. And because we are united to Christ spiritually, his death becomes our death, and his life becomes our life. And how do you experience that? You experience that through faith. 
You experience that through faith so that when Romans 6, 3, 4 says that we are baptized into Christ and into his death, it means that baptism expresses the faith in which we experience union with Christ. This is why we believe that God designed the whole mode of baptism to be full water immersion so as to portray the burial of Christ. And maybe some of you guys went, went with us to the retreat. You didn't hear me say this. But for every single person that I baptize, I say this, by the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the likeness of his death, and in the likeness of his resurrection, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, it represents the death that we experience when we are united to Christ. Immersion here is a symbolic burial. So you have died in Christ. The unbelieving, rebellious old creation that you once were has been crucified with Christ, which is why we can all confidently quote verses like Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You are no longer condemned because Christ was condemned for you. He took it all. Our second point is this, that baptism displays not only the death of Christ in us, but the newness of life in Christ. Verse 4 says, We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This part is probably the most crucial commentary of this truth. Paul says, well, says it well in Colossians 2.12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We are raised up with Christ like Romans 6.4 says about us walking in the newness of life with him. Here's the thing about everything outside of the gospel message. I want you to hear me out right now. Everything outside of the gospel message, and sadly, sometimes these things are preached inside the church walls. But these things can only relate to the pain and difficulty of your circumstances, but will offer little to no hope in terms of solutions. At best, they can only say, it might get better. Or, or we hope it gets better. Or what was, your, what was the therapist who said that to you? It was, what was that? Things happen. Things happen. I think Forrest Gump quoted that in his movie too. <laughs> in a more crude way. Okay, <laughs> Kathy cleaned it up for us. <laughs> Things happen. But the gospel tells us that in Christ Jesus, not only will it might or may, but man, do we have the faith and do we have to trust in this promise. He says it will get better. It will. There is a new life, he says. There is a new hope, he says. There is the resurrection. And all this happens through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Colossians 2.12 makes clear what Romans 6.4 leaves implicit and that baptism expresses our faith in the working of God to raise Jesus from the dead. Therefore, we believe that Christ is alive from the grave and he's reigning today at the right hand of the Father. reason why I'm constantly talking about the risen Lord is because if he had not risen from the grave, all this would be meaningless. Without the resurrection of the cross, of the Christ from the cross, all our hope, all these testimonies would be completely irrelevant, moot, nothing. Therefore, we have to believe that Christ is alive and he is reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The newness of life is a life of faith in the glory and working of God that he did in raising his son. The newness of life is a life of day-to-day -day trusting in the working of God. And so this is what it ultimately means to be a Christian. And this is how I end. And that is to live in the reality of what a baptism portrays. Brothers and sisters, I want you guys to be able to say every single moment of every single day throughout the rest of your life, Say to ourselves and say to God, because of Jesus, I come to you. Because of Jesus, I belong to you. Because of Jesus, I am at home with you. He is my only hope of acceptance with you. And Lord, I receive that acceptance every day by his grace. My hope is no longer in the things of this world and the broken promises it offers. But my hope is based on his death for me and my death in him. My hope is based on my life in him 
and that is a life of faith in you, Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, I trust you're working for me and in me and through me for the power and glory of your name. And in that same power and glory that you use to raise the Son of God from death, you will also use to lead me and guide me and protect me and to do everything for me for your glory throughout my life. My hope is in the promise of a future of grace with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are what makes my life new. You are what makes my life new. Not my wife, not my husband, not my boyfriend or girlfriend, not my new career path or goals, not my all of a sudden full bank accounts. No, nothing but Christ Jesus, you make my life new. Thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your majesty of what baptism portrays. Thank you for dying my death for me and giving me new life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, friends, I want to give you guys an opportunity. You've heard seven testimonies of people from all walks of life, who have been radically transformed. Yes, their lives may still be a progression, as some of them said. We're still growing in our knowledge of God. We're still growing. We're still fighting certain battles. We're still doing things like that. But you know what? It's been radically changed their spirit. You know it's been radically transformed? Their destiny. You have just witnessed seven miracles. People who wanted absolutely nothing to do with God. People who, in fact, maybe even hated God. Who has the power to change darkness to light? Who has the power to change death to life? Only Christ. And maybe right now you're in that same place, and so a lot of these things that you've heard, you relate to. And maybe today's the day that God is calling you out. And he's asking you to give your heart to him. Maybe today is the day, this is the very moment where enough is enough. You have tried, you have tried, and you have failed, and you have failed. You see, there's nothing else in this entire world, not even the intimacy and the, the greatness and love of your family could ever satisfy that which you're looking for. Nothing. We'll be left unsatisfied, dissatisfied. I want to give you guys just a couple minutes, and you guys are doing well right now, but just a couple minutes as, as we have the song kind of come out in the background. But if you could just come before the Lord whether you know Christ or not, can we approach his throne of grace? Pray to him. Talk to him. Evaluate your heart. Judge your heart. Where are you at with God? Maybe those of you who do know him, you want him more and more and more. Cry out to him. Let's pray. Father, we cry out to you, and would you hear the prayers from your creation here, from your people. God, there's not much in this world for us to trust in or hope for, and for those of us who have, Lord, we've just, what happened? We've just been left floundering around, still grasping for something that's never been there, never meant to satisfy God, we thank you so much for the courage of these seven brothers and sisters who have declared not their righteous works, but your works. Not their amazing life that they're now living, no, but your amazing life that you've lived perfectly. God, I want to declare your love over all these people here today. That you love us. You love us, you love us, you love us, and there's nothing we can do about that. Your love is so great. Your love is so extravagant. 
Your love is so steadfast. Your love draws us to you. Lord, would you lead us? Would you open up our, our embittered and calloused hearts? Father, for we know that it is only by your grace that we can see you. We know that it is your hands that lead us. So would you, Lord, open our hearts then? Would you allow, as Apostle Paul, allow the veils from our eyes to fall, the scales to truly see you? as the God of our lives, that we would see you, Jesus, as the Savior of our souls. Lord, we thank you so much that you are good and faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you are still with us and will never forsake us. We thank you, Father, that midst of all the difficult things that we have to bear in this life, that you are sure. You are foundation. You are our cornerstone. May we continue to heavily rely upon you in all things, to trust in you in all things. And thank you, Lord, again, that we're able to love you because you first loved us. We praise you, and we ask that you continue to lead us throughout this week. May we be mindful of your work in us. May we be mindful, always sensitive, of the words that you whisper into our hearts. We thank you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.